0: Welcome to Futures Focus, a fantasy baseball podcast centering around all the top prospects in the game, brought to you by Prospects 1500. My name is Alex Sanchez, and joining me tonight is Nate Eckert. We are going to be discussing the NL East. So, Nate, welcome to the show tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Excited to be here, and uh, let's get into it. Before we do, and again, we are talking about the NL East. We have the Braves, Marlins, Phillies, Nationals, and those lovely Mets, as uh, you can probably guess from that. I am a Braves fan, so I do have some things I would like to talk about with this division. Um, You'll notice that, of course, Nate is our Dodger correspondent. I'm the Padres correspondent, but a Braves fan. Um, However, we weren't able to get any of our correspondents on the show tonight, However, I like I said, I do have a lot of familiarity with the NL East here, for better or for worse. So we will have a lot of good things to talk about. Nate, of course, is an expert in all things prospects anyways. But before we get into that, today was the day. We got to see the first couple of games. The Padres Mariners specifically was the one I was watching. And the pitch clock. Nate, mm-hmm. what do you think about that? <laughs> What are your thoughts going forward? Are you for against it? Give me something about what you think about that pitch clock. Everybody's talking about it. Yeah, totally.
1: Uh, I, I'm for it completely. And and here's why. Um, when they started it in the minors uh, a few years back, I remember watching the, the first futures game that came after they started the pitch clock. And these guys, top prospects, Cade Cavalli, I think at the time Nate Pearson was was up there, um, you know, real top tier starting starting pitchers. They were up there throwing and not, you know, not just throwing the ball like they're playing catch. They were just ready to rock. You know, I can't I can't think of something that's more um, uh, just annoying than getting that guy who who sets up. You know, in the stretch, he's looking left, he's looking right. I know that's part of the game. However, I like the pitch clock because it's just the pace of the game is just going to be that much faster, maybe not even enough to where people will see it the first few times and they'll say, "Oh, wow, it's like really fast." But I think it I think it really works for uh, the rhythm, you know, the rhythm of the game, the rhythm of the pitching. The rhythm of the hitters. Um, and, and I think that eventually we'll see pitchers, uh, also, you know, doing the opposite of that. Uh, they'll probably abide by the clock just in general, but, you know, we may get some, uh, some, uh, Cueto, you know, uh, Juan Marichal uh, type deliveries, where they try and uh, mess with the clock a little bit, and and I do know that starting pitchers, uh, Oral Hershiser is is one that is on record about this all the time, where he will read a hitter's uh, demeanor in the box, like say uh, Dustin Pedroia, right? He was always itching in the box, ready to take a hack, and uh, and and Hershiser is on record. He said he would take his time, like to the point where it would get annoying for the hitter. Now that's good. That's all well and good. And it's good strategy. However, for the fans and for the people watching at home and the ones that are in the, in the stands um, that can kind of get, you know, a bit uh, egregious at times. So I'm excited for it only because I've seen the way that it's worked on pitchers already. The ones that have been doing it for a few years and uh, the futures game that I saw and everyone thereafter, uh, I really enjoy the pace, the pace of the game. Yeah, I, I like what
0: you said about rhythm. I think that comes into play. It definitely got you into a rhythm. I found, you know, no, I noticed a very big difference. Now I watch a lot of baseball, and like you said, I don't know if the the casual casual fan would notice a difference right away, but for us, again, if you're probably listening to this about a podcast dynasty league, you know, you, you probably are into baseball quite a bit. You're going to notice a difference, but at the same time, like I found myself like, okay, there's the pitch. Now let me look at my phone. Okay. Here's another pitch. Let me get up straight. Like I didn't feel any of that. I felt the urgency going and like, honestly, 15 seconds is a long time. Um, If you are getting crossed up with your catcher, I get it. But with the pitch calm, like that shouldn't happen either. It's you literally press a button and another button. And then like, if you can't get a pitch, in that couple of seconds, like there's something wrong and you Mm -hmm. get a timeout anyway. So if it does happen, you have that one timeout per at-bat. I saw Mm -hmm. a a batter use that today. It was interesting. Now, what I'm worried about is, and now let me just preface, preface this with an asterisk. I'm not worried about any of the new rules. I think that change is for the better. We're in a different world nowadays. I'm all for changes, but the one that does make me the most nervous if I had to pick one is the pickoffs to second. We we probably didn't see that too much today in spring training, but when a game's on the line, eighth inning, ninth inning, and you have a speedster up uh, and, and on first base and that two-pickoff move happens, like I think that's
1: going to change the game a lot. What do you think, Nate? Oh, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I mean, imagine back in the day if Vince Coleman and uh, uh, Ricky Henderson, those types, they, that they had that advantage. Uh, I mean, are you kidding me? They probably have 200 steals in in a season. Um, I I think it will. I think it will uh, ruffle some feathers as the season goes on. And I'm 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 right there with you, Alex. I love the changes, and I agree it's a different day and age. And I think that these were long overdue, especially the shift change. But um, the, the pickoff moves, when I was going through all the different rule changes, that was absolutely the first one. And the only one really that I thought to myself, Ooh, eh, I don't know if they, you know, it, it's, it just seems a bit, um, what's the word a bit aggressive, you know, for lack of a better word. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how it goes. It'll also be interesting to see how, uh, baseball Um, governs itself or polices itself um, because players will take advantage you better believe they will take advantage i
0: wonder if that rule is more so to get that stolen base back into the game because we've seen it sort of creep Mm -hmm. towards extinction here as a part of wow this is really slowing the game down so i'm wondering if that has more of you know more to do with it than anything else and i'm for getting the stolen base back and and speeding up the game. Honestly, the shift is I I I you know, when you hear it on paper, you see it on paper and you're like, "Okay, you can't shift anymore. This is going to make a dramatic difference." And I'm thinking Matt Olson, he's going to hit 330 this year because he crushes balls <laughs> to the hole every time. But the fact is, you can still shift that shortstop almost to where he was playing before, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. second baseman just can't go on the grass. Like it's not going to be as drastic I think as people initially thought when you see it in person. The shift doesn't Look that much different, honestly, than it did before. It just minus that, you know, second baseman playing in shallow outfield. Now he's, you know, at the dirt. So that makes, you know, obviously a little bit of a difference. But the shift part is still there and in play. So I don't know if it's going to have a huge impact, especially as players adjust this year. But like you said, those stolen bases, and I'm sure Ricky Henderson, Vince Coleman, and, you know, Billy Hamilton even are like, man, I could have made an extra 30 or $40 million with those stolen base numbers that I could have put up.
1: Tim Raines, forget about it, you know? I mean, they're out there counting counting their pickoffs.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh what gosh. do they
1: expect? And now, two hours, 29 minutes for
0: the padres Mariners game, two hours, 33 minutes for the Rangers-Royals game, according to Jeff Passan on Twitter. That's a big difference. I could get on board with stuff like that, too, because, you know, a three-and-a-half-hour game Ball game is not going to attract this generation where five-second TikTok videos are about the limit nowadays.
1: Yep, exactly.
0: <laughs> All right, that's enough of real baseball. Let's get into why you're here, the listener, uh, and that is to talk about the NL East. Now, we've had some banging divisions when it comes to prospects the last couple of weeks. The A- AL East, fantastic. I can't think of Five better organizations combined that have the depth that those ones do, as well as elite prospects as well. Uh, we uh, Then we want to talk elite, elite prospects. You have the NL Central with Jackson Churio and Jordan Walker, Ellie De La Cruz. But we have to do all the divisions, folks. And that means we have to do the NL East. Now, again, I am a Braves fan. I'm excited about the NL East and doing that here for you tonight. But... I will have to say that it's probably the weakest division when it comes to prospects as the Braves, I think unanimously were the worst in the entire major league baseball in terms of the organizational rankings we did. And the Phillies certainly were not far behind the Mets probably in the middle and you no, know, the nationals and uh, the, the Marlins. Uh, who's the other one? How am I blanking? Marlins. Marlins yes. Marlins. Marlins are, are pretty good, but overall, This is a pretty weaker division. Doesn't mean, though, that there aren't guys to talk about. And so let's start there with my beloved Atlanta Braves. Again, no secret. The same thing goes with the Padres, is that this is a team looking to win a World Series title. They don't care who they need to trade to get guys that can help out at the major league level. That's why they traded for Joe Jimenez in the offseason. They're going to continue to do moves like that, although they are running out of players. To do that, um, and this is, of course, done by Michael Kelly, longtime Braves correspondent. And when you're looking at the list here, Nate, no Tier 1 players. Certainly, that's no supply, surprise. I didn't have any top 100 guys um, on my list when I was ranking them. The closest I had was uh, probably between Jared Schuster and a guy that Kelly has down at number 9, A.J. smith Shaver. But honestly, there's probably not a lot of difference between numbers one through 10 on this list. You could probably go, if you had a really good reason to rank one of these number one, nobody would probably bat an eye at you. We do have Owen Murphy number one on the site. Michael has Owen Murphy number one, the recent draft pick, 20th overall. J.R. Ritchie comes in at number two. Cole Phillips at number four behind Jared Schuster, like I mentioned, and that's tier two. So. Uh, again, I try not to be too negative on these podcasts. I think overall I'm a pretty, pretty positive guy on this podcast, but this isn't a great system. With that being said, who do you like there in Tier 2 for Michael Kelly?
1: Let's see here. Let's make sure that he's still in Tier 2. Oh, never mind. He's not. That wasn't who I was thinking of. However, in Tier 2, I really do like uh, J.R. Um I think if anybody is going to take off – Uh, quickly and move through the system um, a bit faster than the others because Owen Murphy um, was a two-way player. Now, I'm not using that against him by any stretch. However, when I'm looking for players to roster or draft in the first-year player drafts or in my dynasty leagues, um, if I'm going to get a pitcher, I want a pitcher you know and that's not to say that Owen murphy's not going to be a pitcher but i do remember murphy was pretty far down on mlb uh on mlb's draft rankings i think there he was like 59th or something yeah, like that he, overall yeah, you're right. and um so uh Richie, for me just feels more like uh one of those types of brave righties that's just going to get in there a bit like soroka Who's who's gonna throw some strikes? Um, he's got the fastball, slider, changeup. You know, very uh, solid um, uh, starting pitcher who will probably uh, eventually, not too far not from now, uh, end up in uh, Double A. Uh, I also like Cole Phillips, uh, and I really liked the way that Mike. Uh, that Mike talked about it. He said, stop me if you've heard this before, Texas high school flamethrower, wow scouts. Well, yeah, uh, we've heard that uh, almost every year, probably 20 times over. However, this is a general rule of thumb that if you were born and raised in Texas and you threw really well in high school and you had you know, upper echelon velocity, a team is going to find you and, This is one of my favorite things to tell anyone that's getting into a fantasy or a a dynasty league, and especially in first-year player drafts. I don't so much draft players for players uh, past, I'd say, like round five. Usually I stick with systems. And the Braves have been one of those systems forever who have proven themselves that they can develop Upper echelon right-handed, and uh, let's just stick with right-handed pitching. Um, they're just more or less a factory. So I like Cole Phillips, and I like uh, J.R. Ritchie from the from uh, yeah. from Atlanta.
0: Yeah, and it's really what this system needs is a bunch of arms. There's really not a lot of openings position-wise for the next eight or to ten years. When you look mm-hmm. at the major league club, um, you got maybe, basically one outfield slot. And that's maybe a DH, you know, Mm -hmm. in a year or two. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you're Mm -hmm. not going to be breaking through in this roster. It's just the way it is. Um, But, yeah, I think, you know, I really like those guys you mentioned for the long term. I think if you need somebody this year, Jared Schuster is a great bet to get an early promotion. A lot Mm -hmm. of good things coming out of camp right away that he, you know, he's not going to make that fifth start. Uh, For fifth starter spot for the Braves, it's obviously going to be between Bryce Elder and you have Ian Anderson and you have Mike Soroka, although Soroka does have some hamstring issues now, which is surely frustrating for both him and the fans. Meaning that, you know, just you have uh, Ian Anderson, who hasn't been effective for a while, Soroka with an injury. Um, I like Bryce Edler a lot. But, you know, something just has to go wrong. And then all of a sudden, Schuster is up there and he's ready to go. Made it up to AAA last year, 24 years old. He isn't the highest ceiling in the world. But for Dynasty Leagues, a guy that's going to be pitching for the Braves is a really good bet. Uh, as opposed to some of the other bets he might be able to take in Dynasty League. So he's somebody to keep on your radar. Again, I wouldn't trade the farm for him. But you might be able to pick him up in 50 to 60 percent. Of Dynasty League. So before we move on, though, Nate, I do want to take a moment and talk about our sponsor, Fan Tracks. And we have been running this promotion for the last couple of weeks. But it, we, as we reach the end of February here, I do want to encourage everybody to sign up now for those new leagues on Fan Tracks to get entered in to win that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. jersey. All you have to do, again, is sign up for a league on Fan Tracks. Which even if there wasn't a competition going on, you should do. Um, My buddy and I actually, we go way back. He's, you know, my best man all the way since elementary school. He's starting up a dynasty league. It's going to be the first real dynasty league that he's in. Actually, he's in our our dynasty, Nate, with you. Is he?
1: He's in the Zhao. Uh Uh-huh.
0: 27th heaven, yeah. So he's starting up a dynasty league. We didn't even have to discuss. It wasn't like, hey, I'm starting up a dynasty league. Which platform should I use? We never even had that discussion. It was obvious. It was always going to be on fan tracks. We're talking about all these sorts of different rules that he wants to implement. Where you know he has an interesting idea where it's innings pitched as a category, he easily can do that. We we're talking about game-winning RBIs because we like it from your dynasty league. Mm-hmm, so all mm-hmm. sorts of things we can put in there. The minor league eligibilities we can tinker with. So it's just it's so easy and great to use on FanTrax that I'm just so happy that they sponsor the podcast here and that I get to have a little bit of a time to encourage you to go sign up over at Fantrax.com slash prospects 1500. Again, sign up for a new league. It's absolutely free. And each time you do, you're going to be entered in to win that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. jersey. So that was for February. It's February 24th. My calculations are correct. This might be one of the last times that you can sign up for that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. jersey. So if you like him, which you should, he's awesome. Uh, go ahead and sign up today. All right, Nate. Let's go ahead and move on and quickly get through this. I don't think there's a lot more to talk about. There's some names down here. Again, I wanted to talk about AJ Smith-Shauver at number nine. I'd actually probably put him into the tier two category. I think he's definitely probably second in line to make an impact at the major league level in the rotation. Um, I know he's, you know, he's 20 year old and single A, but he's definitely ahead of those guys that they drafted. He's obviously behind Schuster. Um, I think that. He has a, a really good stuff, and the strikeouts are the thing that really jump off the page. 103 strikeouts and in 68 innings, a 215 batting average against. He has a lot of good stuff with pitchability to go along with it, and I think that, you know, he gets kind of lost in this system because it's so poor, but he's somebody that could definitely make a quick rise, and I would keep a, an eye out for him. You know, in, in Dynasty League, I'm in – I'm a very – pitching needy. I did the old adage of getting a lot of hitters when I did my rebuild, and now I need pitchers. He's a guy that I can get for free. I'm willing to take a chance on him, keep him, and see if he can get up. At number 10, I wanted to talk about a lefty that you might see into the bullpen relatively quickly. That's Dylan Dodd. He has been pretty impressive there in his ascension to the big leagues. I don't know if he'll break camp right away. The Braves do have a lot of quality lefties in the pen. Although again, Tyler Matzik is out for a little while. Uh, I still think that they're okay lefty wise, but if one of those other lefties is effective or is hurt, I think Dylan Dodd could be a very good source of holds when it comes to those safe hold dynasty leagues worth a shot as well. Um, other than that, there isn't a whole lot to go over here. And if you're okay with it, Nate, let's just move on to the national show. Sure. sure. Yeah, let's do it now. The Nationals are the exact opposite of the Atlanta Braves. The Major League team is the opposite. They are going to be bottom dwellers. Their minor league system, however, is the opposite in a good way. They are fantastic, and there is a lot to talk about here. So let's spend some time here on the Nationals. This list was done by Caleb Sanders, and it's quite interesting at the top. Now, I do want to talk about these guys individually, but hold off on that for a second. Just very briefly, when we take a look at the tier one players, there's only two. He has James Wood and Elijah Green, which means that Robert Hassel III and Cade Cavalli are actually going to be tier two players. So, what are your thoughts on that? Do you agree? And I'll give my thoughts after, because I have some pretty—I'm uh, pretty confident in my thoughts in this as well. But I want to hear what you have to say first.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I think Cavalli. Is absolutely a tier one. I mean, let's break down what the tier one means really fast. It's just really quick. It's players with a high expectation of both making the majors and playing in an all-star level for a number of years. Uh, I think Cavalli has every opportunity to do exactly that. Uh, I'd say he's 23. I think he was 22 last year, 23 this year. 24 this year, yes. 24, okay. Um, And he should break uh the team out of spring as long as nothing crazy happens uh but the kid has uh, a great frame four quality pitches he hits the strike zone i mean he's just he's kind of a throwback a bit to uh the the days of yore where you had a big righty that would pound the zone a lot and um i like cavalli a lot so i would put him in the tier one uh Robert Hassel III even though I have huge expectations for him I understand why um Caleb didn't put him into tier 1 and this is the only reason I say so is because he hasn't had that uh that stereotypical season where he plays day 1 and ends up playing day 134 or whatever it is in minors and And he's raked all the way through. He has all the talent under the sun, uh, a lot of speed, uh, and he has power potential. However, because of the injuries, he was drafted in 2020. We all know uh, the the crap that everybody had to go through in 2020. Um, And he was taken out of high school. So all of those things considered, um, I love Hassel. But uh, I understand why he's not in tier one.
0: Yeah, so I mentioned I do have some concrete thoughts on this because Hassel was, and James Wood, it was a pod, you know a Padre draft mm-hmm. that I followed very closely for many years until, again, they followed the mold of getting shipped off. And so I did have Robert Hassel in Tier 1, but I do have to agree that I do think he is a Tier 2 player. For a lot of the reasons you mentioned, we haven't seen that breakout season. If he was going to be an all-star at every, you know, for multiple seasons, we would see that by now at the low levels. He's looked good. Don't get me wrong. Uh, Certainly at San Diego's farm system, he looked really good. I got to see eyes on him multiple times. It is a pretty swing. He knows what he's doing. He has a great approach, but he just hasn't had that breakout that, he should be having if he is going to be a major league all-star. So, I'm okay putting him at tier 2 now, especially from somebody else getting to look at him for the first time. If you weren't following him in the Padres organization and you saw him only for the Nationals, you're looking at a 2.16 batting average with a 27 strikeout, a 27% strikeout rate with not a lot of power, and I get it. I still think that he is about as borderline as it gets for tier 1. I would put him in tier 2 for now. I had Hassel, I think, at 54 when it comes to my, yeah, 54 for my overall rankings. And I do agree with you in Cavalli as well. I think he has a great chance to give you immediate value. Really, there's not a lot of depth for the Nationals. You can't rely on Strasburg anymore. And so it's a rotation (laughs) that's led by Josiah Gray, Mackenzie Gore, Patrick Corbin. So Cavalli does have a great chance to be that number one, although that's not going to do much for you if you're the number one for the Nationals. But let's talk about these two guys at the top. I'll go ahead and talk about James Wood because I do know a lot about him. And then I'll let you go ahead and talk about Elijah Green. I, th- I think you probably know a little bit more about him than I do. So mm-hmm. with James Wood, there is, there's a lot of hype around James Wood right now. And I get it. Like, Don't get me wrong. I get it. I had him at number 23 overall. And that was the lowest ranking out of anybody who's ranked him for prospects 1,500 so far. I'm a little surprised at that as a former Padres guy. And I'm also not surprised at that for a couple of things. Now, the highest rank that we've had here was number six. That gives you an idea of like, you know, again, it's kind of turning into, I forgot who we're talking about last week, where I'm like, I had him a little bit lower but I, it doesn't mean I don't like him, okay? I do like James Wood a ton. I just think that there is so many ways that this could go right now because of the stature and the tools that James Wood possesses. I, I get stuck on like a Jason Hayward where you look at him and you say, okay, this guy has a great swing. He's a freak athlete. He's huge. The power is there. But just one little thing can go off with these high-end athletes. And I think that the ceiling there is enormous for James Wood. But the floor, when you compare it to the top 10 prospects, top 15 prospects, I hate the floor when it comes to James Wood. He's a guy that won't make him pass double-A at the floor. No, I don't think that's going to happen. And the stuff we've seen so far is fantastic. The power is great. He's going to have to see some advanced pitching. I'm just not quite there yet. I need to see him do it against high-end, double-A, triple-A type of arms before I'm going all-in on James Wood. But that's not to say that I don't disagree with ranking him number one in this system and having him a tier one player. Again, obviously, at number 23 overall, that in my rankings, I do think he's an elite, elite player. But so long until we get to see him at the big leagues in my eyes that things could go wrong. So that's just my thoughts on James Wood. Again, my advice is to be like, don't overpay and try to go acquire James Wood. At this point, you probably can't anyway. If you drafted him, great job. Hold him for sure. Don't sell him or anything. But I'm not saying to go out and get him and overpay for for James Wood. It's a it's a move that could cost you dearly in Dynasty where you're going to give two to three guys that are really, really good to get what you think is an elite guy. And then all of a sudden he doesn't make it. And now you've you've kind of handicapped your team. So that's just my thoughts on James Wood. It sounded like you probably disagree with me a little bit, Nate. and That's okay. I get it. I'm probably the lowest, I think, of anybody now on James Wood, not to say that's that that low. But let me hear your thoughts on Elijah Green I guess. Do you want to do you have any counters for James Wood that you would like? To um,
1: mention? you know, I I think Wood is arguably the, you know, with the exception to Ellie De La Cruz, uh, he's arguably the most exciting. Uh, prospect in baseball now it, it, we're going on two different things here um there's it, it's one thing to talk about excitement right but it's another to talk about investments in a dynasty league and i think you hit the nail on the head alex i mean the kid could very well end up being a giant bust i don't think it's going to happen i really don't uh these taller, uh, crazy, athletic, tons of power type baseball players, position players, are just starting to come out of the woodwork. Starting with O'Neill Cruz Jr. and uh, and they're still going. Uh, there's a there's a shortstop for the Dodgers right now who who got signed uh, just at the J15 this year, 2023 uh Yo-Hendry vargas he's six five and uh he was one of the top international signings uh this year so I think it's a trend um, I love O'Neal Cruz jr I love Ellie, and uh, I love James Wood however, I think you're you couldn't have been more right with your suggestion on not selling the farm for James Wood if you drafted him. Hey, kudos to you. Enjoy. And I'm going to enjoy watching him uh, in the minors, and I'm going to enjoy watching him if and when he ever becomes a big leaguer also. But um, I- I'm in the same boat. I'm not selling him, you know, what, Corbin Carroll or some craziness for for James Wood because, yeah, his ceiling is is sky high. But I think a lot of fantasy players, dynasty players especially – start to fall in love with players who haven't yet proven themselves at every level possible to the point where his floor, just like you said, is, is pretty low. So that's all I want to say about Wood. I love him. Uh, He's exciting and his ceiling is sky high. But other than that, I can't really, I can't really say a whole lot more about him. Yeah. Um,
0: and I do want to get moving on to Elijah Wood as well, but I yes. do think it's an important uh, topic here about James Wood because those guys you mentioned and compared them to, they're infielders where James Wood is an outfielder. So the bat mm-hmm. has a lot more pressure. Where those other guys, they can get by on on having those slumps and having those downs if they are playing decent on the infield. That's a big difference. And also, you know. When you get traded for Juan Soto, there is a mind shift, I think, for a lot of people now. I think James Wood had already proven that he was a stud in 2022 when you take a look at what he did at Lake Elsinore, 337, 10 home runs. Then he gets dealt over to the Nationals for Juan Soto. Now, everybody in the world who follows baseball has heard of this guy, and I think that had some helium to do, because when you look at the overall line, you know... 348 plate appearances, 12 home runs, 20 RBI, uh, 20 stolen bases, 313 uh, uh, batting average. Certainly great. Certainly great. And for a 19 year old, uh, I'm very much excited for that. But is that a top 10 guy prospect wise? For me, it's not. And for a lot of people it is. So I just wanted to make, put
1: my flag in
0: the ground for that one. Yeah. I I mean,
1: yeah. Numbers wise, is that a top 10 prospect? No, I think that's pretty easy to say, but Again, he's 19. He'll be 20 this year. So we'll see. We'll see what yeah. he does.
0: Oh, yeah. Tools-wise, tools I will not argue anybody. I mean, I, I, if you drafted him and you listened to this podcast, I probably told you to draft him. I was very high on him as he came out. I mean, he looked fantastic when he got drafted. I mean, this guy out of some sort you know, Image Academy or IMG mm-hmm. Academy. IMG, or, I yeah. IMG. Oh, yeah, I mean <laughs> – and you just see this guy he's 6 foot 7 two you know he's probably 220 at that point 230 he's a, he looks fantastic but you know i'm looking here number 3 on baseball prospectus number 11 on Ooh. baseball america it's a little high Ooh. a little high for me
1: uh, i should mention other shouldn't mention <laughs> our competition Three on but... baseball prospectus
0: yeah. wow yeah i mean D- dynasty has that's a lot it's high for me and i not to say that i don't like i shouldn't mention other industry guys but i just need to say oh wow um all right tell me about elijah green now we are in the middle of a first year player draft when it comes to our beat the staff that you're participating in um and tell me elijah green and i know everybody wants to know your opinions on comparing him to jackson holiday and drew jones what do you
1: think uh i love elijah green but let me just first and foremost say he's not Jackson Holiday, and he's not Drew Jones. He is a different player. He's 6'3", 225. At, he was probably that big when he was 17. <laughs> uh, he has unbelievable power, as his dad was arguably the biggest tight end I had ever seen. He played for the Pittsburgh Steelers, which is my team. So I used to watch Eric Green all the time, loved him as a tight end, And then I found out that his son plays baseball. Well, other than his incredible power and his athleticism, uh, I don't know just if he'll hit the ball well enough to get to that 70 power all of the time. You know, it's, I hope he does. I mean, he's only 19, right? So the sky's the limit. But I got to say, as far as James Wood and Elijah Green are concerned, Washington has got two super exciting outfielders in their system right this second, and three with uh, Robert Hassel. So, um, you know, is he going to hit well enough to get to that 70-grade power in-game? Uh, I think he's just powerful enough where he will hit those homers. But I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up being about a 250, 35, 40 home run hitting uh RBI machine, which is, which is excellent. All of that stuff is great, but he's not Andrew Jones's kid. And he's not Matt Holliday's kid. And both of those guys have elite bat to ball skills. They rarely, well, Jackson. Uh, more so than uh, Drew, but they rarely miss the ball, and they have a lot of control in the plate. And Jackson Holiday hits from the left side also. So, but that said, Elijah Green he doesn't have that same that's a ball, uh, you know, selectivity at the plate. However, just like with James Wood, he's as exciting as a prospect can get i mean you you drool over this kid's athleticism and his power so he's very exciting and uh i i believe he's got a hell of a gun too but um uh i think he was taken fifth this year yeah fifth year fifth in the, the 2022 uh mlb draft unfortunately he wasn't uh at the draft um I was in attendance. I didn't get to see him in person. Um, unlike, uh, Justin, um, oh, we'll get to him with, uh, with Philly, Justin Crawford, who I was very impressed with his size. Uh, I wanted to see Elijah green in real life, but, um, I didn't get the chance. However, all of his measurables are incredible and he absolutely has 70 game in power uh, 70 in game power.
0: Yeah, what do you think about first-year player drafts? Then, is, so you're taking Holiday and you're taking Jones ahead of him. Is he your third player pretty clearly, or is it close to somebody? else? uh, no. Uh-uh. Like no I'm taking
1: I'm taking Tamar Johnson at, at the three without okay. question. I I love Tamar Johnson. I love his hit tool. I love his power. I think he's sneaky athletic and he hits from the left side. Now Green, don't get me wrong. He'd be fun. He'd be fun to draft. I don't know, maybe sixth overall, maybe behind uh, Co- uh, the, guy, uh, the uh the the Japanese pitcher for uh, the Mets. But um, I'm not I'm not looking for him in the top four. And I probably wouldn't draft him until the sixth. Wow. So Cam Collier ahead of him. No, I, I would take a chance on green. Ahead, yeah, I ahead think so, of, uh, Collier, but I love Collier as well. Yeah,
0: I agree. I think I would take Tamar ahead of Elijah Green. I certainly think that there are situations where, if your team is competitive now, that Elijah Green makes a lot of sense because if he does hit and you have a very competitive major league roster, he can just make you unbeatable. Whereas Tamar, I think, is more likely to make the big uh, major leagues, but he might turn into somebody that's like, you know, a Dansby Swanson type of player where he doesn't necessarily win you leagues, but certainly not a bad player at any stretch.
1: Yeah, that's fair enough. I, I see Elijah green a lot like jean Carlos Stanton, you know, um, that would probably be my best comp for him. Wow. Yeah. I think he has a lot of, a lot more
0: speed too, to, to offer. There's yeah. Also- maybe, maybe
1: when he was Mike
0: Stanton. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's move on here. Um, Two guys here. Just Let's go a little bit quicker with these guys. I think a lot of people wanted to hear our thoughts on those top guys. But Brady House, are you still in or are you out on Brady House? I was really, really in on him last year. Uh, I I had him at 74, which is, you know, I think relatively high. Some people didn't even rank him on the top 100. So I guess I'm still in technically. But what about you for Brady House?
1: Yeah, I'm still really high on Brady House. I love him. He's only 19. I mean, we got to remember these kids, Brady House – he's been a major leaguer for like what 5 years now <laughs> he you know he was he was on every youtube uh video you could possibly imagine if you looked up uh prospects and uh that were going to be drafted in uh 2021 i believe yep. and uh yeah so uh i, I love how 64215 the kids at goddamn powerhouse um he plays good defense at third he's not going to stick a short but um he needs to cut down his K rate uh, but you know he's young and I think he could yeah. do all of that and he, Lord knows he's got the talent to do so.
0: yeah, I think house you know dealt with some injuries last year that was the biggest thing for him. he got off to a really good start and I was I was really excited uh, but again yeah he's so he's so young still that you, you mm-hmm. can't give up on him like if you're excited with these first year player drafts like cam Collier. Or Jet Williams or guys like that, you should still be very excited about Brady House. Nothing besides, you know, an injury has been uh, the the down the negative for him because he he put up decent stats. Now, number six, number seven. I have a very hard time putting number seven in tier three below Christ, uh, Christian Vaquero, which mm-hmm. was a international signee last year. I know he was the, all the rage, but to me, if you don't have Jarlin Susanna, on your team right now in dynasty leagues and he's available you need to stop what you're doing right now and go get him and i don't (laughs) say that a lot on this podcast honestly i say oh you should think about this guy but Mm -hmm. i'm telling you jarlin susanna is going to Mm. be a top 50 prospect by this time next year he is yuri perez reincarnate he is fantastic 18 year old 6 foot 6 235 throw in 100 perhaps 103 reports that sometimes, like, if you don't have this guy right now, like, again, you have to remember how did they get, how did the Padres get Juan Soto? Juan Soto, how did they get him? James Wood, yes, that's not enough. Who else? This guy had a big part to do with it. I mean, CJ Abrams, sure, Mackenzie Gore, all that, but Jarlin, Susanna, he was not a throw in. He was a big reason why they were willing to send Soto. Out West. Okay, this guy is unbelievable. I don't know what else to say that can to kind of convince you, Nate. Are you on? Board oh with no, the guy I, or I, Mike, I'm kind of. I'm, I'm right there.
1: No, I'm right there with you, brother. Uh, tier three, absolutely not. He's a tier two, and I would, I would switch he and Um Sure, he was, he was the jewel of uh, the 2020 international class vaquero in the outfield, and he's, he's got nothing but. Uh, athleticism and uh, size and speed and he's got all sorts of tools. However, Jalen Susanna is exactly what you just got done saying. He's he's the next Yuri Perez and isn't that what we're all looking for in dynasty leagues? I mean, if if your if your league is sleeping on Susanna and you pick him up literally this second, you will come back and thank me and alex for the next 10 to 15 years he is that electric
0: nobody ranked him on our uh on our aggregate rankings i was the only one at, and i put him at 87 so well, i'll
1: be the, i'll be putting him up there as well yeah
0: i know you haven't quite finished yours yet but uh yeah i'm looking at that right now i can't believe nobody found a way to sn- unbelievable sneak but Unbelievable. yeah, I mean, we don't get that excited about a guy this low very often on the podcast. So it gives you some idea. Um, but yeah, Vaquero, I get it. Like there's a lot of hype on him. You could probably still sell him with the name. We don't we have no clue yet about what he's going to be like. And I don't really want to wait and find out with those international signees. I'd rather have a little bit more information. But anyway, um, you know, we've talked about Cole Henry on this show. few times. Um, I don't know. I haven't followed Cole Henry too much, but his name always does come up. Um, So he's someone to take a look at, you know, a 23-year-old in AAA. He needs to be healthy, but he looks pretty damn good when he is healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, A guy down to the lower minors, Jeremy De La Rosa, um, he had a very good 2022 that kind of went under the radar. Um, Mm -hmm. Don't forget about him, TJ White. I mean, this is a really good organization for prospects and you know we can even go down a little bit further to see Jackson Rutledge uh Mm -hmm. Daylon Lyle is an exciting outfielder Armando Cruz again these guys are super young we've had a few systems where we're like wow these are really older type of guys these guys are all extremely young there's a lot of ways this can go you know if you're a Nationals fan you're hoping for the best if it if everybody kind of reaches their ceiling here like this is the Going to be one of the best teams in Major League Baseball, but again, it could be, you know, these guys hitting their floor, and this is the worst team in baseball continuing for the next <laughs> ten years. It's it's going to be so fascinating to see where they go. They got to be patient. There's no need to rush. You're not passing the Braves. You're not passing the Mets. You're not passing the Phillies anytime soon. So let these guys develop. But they are all so far away. But it is exciting to think about what the future may hold in three to four years for this organization. Absolutely. Anybody else you want to mention with the nationals before we take a break?
1: Yeah, I like Cole Henry, just like you were talking about. I also like J. Uh, Jeremy De La Rosa. I like both of those guys a lot. Uh, Henry has been hurt uh, a lot in his uh, in his pro career, but uh, he was a second rounder in 2020 at LSU, and uh, he's pretty nasty uh I'm a big fan of uh, of Henry and then also don't sleep on uh Jackson Rutledge, you know. six eight, two forty. Um that always plays up.
0: Yeah, it's certainly a uh, terrible major league team but one of the best minor league teams, especially if you're high on James Wood, you're definitely going to really enjoy this system and probably another high draft pick coming up in the summer 2023 as well, but Let's go ahead and take a break. We have three more teams to take care of when we get back, the Phillies, the Marlins, and the Mets. So we'll take care of that. Let's just take a short break, and we'll be right back. and we're back alex sanchez nate eckert my guest joining me so great podcast i don't think we need to talk about the Mets or the phillies or anything like that don't you agree i think we're good
1: yeah yeah there's no reason to
0: i hate going on on. (laughs) i'll tell you man so it was a lot of fun watching the braves sweep the mets at the end of the year and if you're a mets fan whatever i don't care but <laughs> um, it was so much fun but to s- then like have the phillies completely crush us and this was Oof. right when my daughter was born she was born october 10th and so mm. like it was a few like she's like, i don't even know the exact dates but a couple days to weeks old and so like In the back of my mind, I was like, well, if there is one year that the Braves could get eliminated, it should be this year because I can't really focus on it. I just have a newborn. Mm -hmm. But at Mm -hmm. the same time, to see Brandon Marsh and Reese Hoskins do this. uh, Anyway, we are getting uh, Uh. down a dark path. (laughs) We don't need to go down that path. But (laughs) let's go ahead and talk about the Philadelphia Phillies farm system. It won't take long. At all, And that's not me trying to be sarcastic or negative in any way. But this system, again, is very similar to those Braves and Padres that we mentioned in that. They have sold those guys off in hopes of winning a World Series, and they got pretty darn close. But with that being said, the the system is not that appealing when it comes to dynasty. There's a couple pitchers here. You mentioned Justin Crawford from earlier. I'll let you go ahead and talk about him. But there Mm -hmm. is one guy that, of course, we're going to spend a lot of time on, and that is Andrew Painter. He Mm -hmm. is very intriguing, And I'm trying to figure out a better word than intriguing. But, like, he is so fascinating. And the idea of what he could be is just, like, just – I can't find the word. It's just, like – Uh, not emerging, but like engulfing. That's the word. It's like engulfing everybody's imagination on what this guy could actually do because you're talking about the size is there. Six foot seven, 215. But the thing is with that size, which obviously everybody loves, okay? I don't know. Do you know a lot of six, seven people like as good friends that you know, Nate?
1: Well, I'm six, six, but uh, not six, seven. No,
0: Uh, okay, so- Nate, I I like do you find yourself to be very graceful and smooth in a lot of your sport? <laughs> um,
1: when I was growing up, no. Uh as I matured, uh luckily I did I did get a bit more graceful, but um it, it just as a a general rule of thumb, if you're 6, 7 and above, uh you're not you're not exactly a ballerina. Yeah,
0: and one of my best friends is 6, 7. He again Love the guy, but in terms of like the smoothness, (laughs) like he was good at sports. Don't get me wrong. Like, he honestly, right? Yeah, but like he just wasn't smooth. That's what Andrew Painter does that I can't quite understand. The mechanics, the delivery, the composure on the mound, it's so buttery smooth that I think that's what's making me the most excited for him going forward because you have the size, you have the mechanics. You have the results, you have the pitches, and you have this awesome attitude that he's giving ideas like, uh, I'm going to just add this cutter this year. Like, what (laughs) what 19-year-old with 20-year-old is like, I'm just going to add a cutter to my repertoire right now as I try to make this fifth spot. It's insane. Um, He was talking about how he listens to old music, and it was like Nickelback or something like that. (laughs) Everybody was getting mad about, (laughs) you know, it's not Uh, old music, Andrew. But this guy, man. What do you think? Number one pitching prospect in the game?
1: Yes. Yeah. I think, I think he surpassed uh, uh, Grayson last year. And uh, I don't find myself uh, regretting saying that out loud whatsoever. And on record, I, I think Painter is the best pitching prospect in baseball. I agree he's ahead of Grayson Rodriguez. I would put Yuri Perez
0: as my number one, though. But I separate and this is really hard for me to do as there's two things that I have been notorious for on this podcast that is anti catching prospect and anti pitching <laughs> prospect but I put Yuri Perez number 10 Andrew Painter number 14 and Grayson Rodriguez number 15 so mm-hmm. I got on board with those pitching prospects And Yuri Perez is my number one, which we'll get to him, by the way. Don't forget, he's in this division. But yes, Andrew Painter, if you want to put him at number one, I get it. He is definitely going to be pitching in the majors sooner than Yuri Perez. But I think that's more so of a product of the fact that the Phillies have nothing better and want to win games right away, whereas the Marlins want to develop players for the long term. I think that's the situation. I don't know if Andrew Painter is better than Yuri Perez in that regard, but if you want guys that are going to be pitching in the majors sooner, Andrew Painter certainly is in competition for that fifth spot. I think Yuri Perez is too, honestly. Don't tell anyone, but I think he is. But I think Painter is very much, you know, I'd say 60% to 70% going to get that spot. I mean, he's got to beat like his well, Brooks Raley, Brandon Raley. I don't know, follow
1: the Phillies, but. Yeah. <laughs> Brooks' fault? Who is it? I'm now. I'm Whoever it is, it's it's uh, not Andrew Painter. <laughs> yeah. So uh,
0: it does make the system worth talking about because he is so darn good, and his rise has been pretty awesome to see as well. I mean, this is a guy that was not drafted super highly, but now he is in the top ten to fifteen on nearly every list. So, what do you have to say about Andrew Painter that um, maybe I, I looked over there? Um,
1: cha, you didn't leave out a whole lot. He, he, uh, he, he has literally everything that you want in your ace prospect pitcher. He's 19, he's already pitched at double A, he's already excelled at double A. Nothing seems to phase this kid whatsoever, and it's almost as if he knows how big he is, you know, like I'm 6'6", but I forget how big I am all of the time. Painter is so like self-aware of, of just how dominant his body and his pitches are and can be. And I'm talking confidence on, on a other worldly type scale. The kid, I like, I like the fills for pitching,
0: uh,
1: you know, Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler, uh, I know Wheeler was developed in, uh, the, with the match, but still, um, you know, you bring Painter into that rotation, Ugh! look out, um, 98, seven, 97, 98 touches, a Four seam, uh, he's got a wipe away slider uh serviceable, more than serviceable change up talking about bringing in the cutter I mean th- these are the types of things like what you said with the cutter Alex uh, these are the types of things that you want to hear from your future ace, you know, like yeah, I've only pitched for two full years, and yeah, I'm only nineteen, but hey, maybe I should add a cutter because you know it's a pretty damn good pitch in major league baseball and he'll probably throw that sucker for 93, you know? And he'll probably get six inches of break on it as well. So you just, you add that to the arsenal along with that uh, incredibly smooth delivery. uh, His mechanics are second to none. Very, 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 very small, very few extra actions in his delivery, very repeatable. It's like he's just out there tossing the ball with his dad, and he's and he's just, you know, he's striking everybody out at, at a crazy rate. And he throws strikes. So, I mean, everything that you could ever want in your starter is Andrew Painter, yeah. period. Yeah,
0: he's going to be, you know, up first month to the second month. Uh, Bailey Falter, again, was that name I was saying. There it is, before. yeah. You have... Taewon Walker as well, who is very uh, notorious for injuries. So, like, Painter's up there right away. Once he graduates, though, this system is not going to be great, as uh, Tony BPS had only two people in Tier 2, and that was Mick Abel, which I agree. I think Mick Abel gets a little bit overshadowed by Andrew Painter because, honestly, the Phillies weren't so desperate to win games to try to keep up with the Mets and the Braves that it might be better to put Mick Abel up first and see what he's capable of doing and then slowly bring up Andrew Painter. They just don't want to waste any of the bullets that Andrew Painter has, which I, I mean, I get that for sure. But Mick Abel is certainly a candidate to see action in 2022 as well. And, you know, people seem to forget about him a little bit. Didn't have the greatest 2022, but still very serviceable and clearly the number two prospect in this organization. Um, and then you have William Bergola, a international signing, 18 year old um, that Tony is obviously very high on to put him at number three. But again, there's really not a lot of competition you have, you know, tier three begins at the number four overall prospect. And there's a couple of names here that you probably would recognize, but um, after that, you know, tier four begins at number 10 overall. I think that was even sooner than the, my Padres list. So without Andrew Painter, this this might be worse than the, the Padres for sure. So there's that. But, yeah, I mean, anybody else you want to mention here? Um, again, I don't have a lot of other guys. These guys aren't going to help you anytime soon. Like, they're not bringing up these guys to do anything besides. I mean, maybe Johan Rojas can come up and, and fill an outfield spot. But even the guys that have come up for the Phillies, Mickey Moniak, and the like, they, they don't really do much. They feel he's kind of get other guys in <laughs> like Kyle Schwarber and Bryce Harper and then just put them out there. Yeah. So, but yeah, anybody else you want to mention here for the Phillies?
1: Yeah, that's that's kind of been their MO for the past, I don't know, ten years or so is uh free agency and trades, you know, stuff like that. Um yeah, I have two guys. Um first I'll start with uh, Griffin Gary. Uh he's 23, he made it up to triple A last year, right handed pitcher. Uh, I like this kid a lot. I, I own him in uh, I think both of my dynasty leagues, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he's a K rate guy. Uh, came out uh, K per nine of thir- 14 last year in uh, 111 total minor league innings. So uh, K K uh, K nine rate of 14. He does need a little bit of uh, work on his command, but I mean, the kid is a fire thrower. Uh, I love the video that they, uh, that Tony posted, um, courtesy of the uh, Phillies player development. If anyone is on the site right now, you got to check out these 13 K's that Griff McGarry just blows by the, uh, Brooklyn Cyclones. Uh, I pretty sure all 13 were just straight fastballs. So, uh, that's exciting um he has a little bit of reliever um uh what's the word uh reliever um sorry uh risk but that's only because they're ready to win and they're ready to win right now i could see painter moving up into the four if taiwan gets hurt and then mcgarry maybe being the 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 fifth starter if he really continues this ascension um But we'll see. And then uh, last but not least, number five overall, Justin Crawford. Um, I want to talk about him because not only do I have him in in my league, the Zhao Dynasty, he's only 18. He is indeed Carl Crawford's son. Uh, He was a first rounder. I think he went like 14th overall uh, last year in 2022. I was at that draft and I was interviewing uh, Carl as his son was being interviewed by ESPN just down the way a little bit so I decided to ask Carl you know between his his own draft day and Justin's draft day which one was better and and just like a proud dad he said it was Justin's without question and uh which was cool enough but then Justin came up and he introduced me to his son and I shook hands with him and uh he was almost looking me in my eye so I know I know A few scouts were worried that Crawford was a bit small, but I'm telling you this right now. He's not small. He has plus plus speed. He has 80-grade speed. He has a 55-grade hit tool, and I could see him developing into 60 power. So um, I love everything about former MLB players' sons, when they get to the bigs, because they just have an unequivocated amount of confidence that no other players who don't have Major League fathers or ex-Major League fathers to back on. These kids grew up in MLB stadiums, in MLB locker rooms, in MLB fields, so when they come on to the stadium, when they come to the stadium and they start playing for the bigs, they have a whole other, I don't even know what to call it, an extra gear that all players who don't have ex-Major League dads, um, they have that extra gear. So look out for Justin Crawford. I'm a huge proponent of him, big time.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great mention in that I think a lot of people might not even realize that Carl Crawford is the father because we've seen in the last couple of years, these second generation players being extremely successful, whether or not it's for that reason, which you which you mentioned, like they they already know it, they have the swag, they understand the game. Um, I'd like to believe that it, there's more to that than, uh, you know, there's more to the skills and that it's not just in your mind, but you might also be right because there's just too many examples now of these second generation players these juniors and these thirds that are just dominating so something to keep in mind all right let's go ahead and move on to the miami marlins we have two more teams to go over so let's see if we can do this a relatively short amount of time with getting all the information we need done so the miami marlins they're they're interesting because you're going to look at their major league team and you're going to say okay yeah this This team has a good minor league system. And I would uh, instinctually say, yes, they have a fantastic minor league system. And then I looked at my top 100 list and I only had two players on it from this organization. And then I get to look at it a little bit closer and I say, Uh, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. But the thing that does need to be mentioned is the amount of depth. I mean, the, the there's major league players in my mind. Now, are they going to be all all-stars? I don't know, but they are going to be regulars from probably number one, all the way down to number, I got to number 17 to 18, where I was like, yeah, these could all, like, I would bet on these guys to make the major leagues. Not a lot of organizations could say that. Like these guys are all going to be up And we saw it last year with Jordan Groshans like he's not the greatest prospect in the world, but he's certainly good and he's going to get a chance. And, you know, it's up to them almost in a sense, like, are you going to come up and are you going to shell out? Are you going to earn your spot and you're going to be that Garrett Cooper? um, Are you going to be that Brian Anderson that just plays every day for the Marlins, which ends up being pretty valuable, even if nobody really fully understands that. So um, we need to talk about Yuri, but. We'll get to that in a second, but what do what do you think about that? I mean, how many guys when you look at this list do you think that you could fit onto your top 100? Oh, um,
1: let's see here. I would. Uh, I put Yidi Cappy, I put Dax Bolton, and May, Max Mayer and Perez. So I I could put four on my top 100. For, yeah. Only because oh. I'm a huge I'm a huge Capy guy and I love Dax Bolton. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Same for me. I think Capy and Perez were the only two that made it for me. Max Meyer with the injury I've sort of gotten off on. I do like Jacob Berry. I think if we went to 110, I'd fit him mm-hmm. in that 100- hundred. Mm-hmm and 10 i'm i'm actually interested to see khalil watson up at number four stoffer knows his stuff he knows his marlins better than anybody probably Mm -hmm. in the world (laughs) like honestly Mm -hmm. so for him Mm -hmm. to still have khalil watson at number four kind of gets me back on board with liking him but let's talk about yuri right now because um like you said with andrew painter six foot seven We have beautiful actions and the idea that we can just add pitches to our repertoire. We know what he was doing. But in my mind, Yuri Perez is Andrew Painter a year ahead of schedule. And Painter had the one good year, no doubt. And I shouldn't even say good. It was one of the best we'll see from a pitching prospects in the next 10 years, perhaps. Yuri Perez did that this year to a lesser degree, but it was still very elite, and he was able to do it last year as well. So for me, Yuri Perez brings what he did last year, which, by the way, was a 1.96 ERA with 108 strikeouts and 78 innings as an 18-year-old in 2021, follow it up with a 397 ERA. I get it, but that's now in Double A and with 110 strikeouts and 17, 77 innings as a 19 year old so So, to me, Yuri Perez is Andrew Painter just a year ahead, and he's even an inch taller. And the stuff to me is, I think they have very similar stuff. I think Yuri Perez, though, it just comes a little bit more natural. That's more of probably an instinct thing for me than it is anything I can base on actual evidence. He just doesn't look like he's throwing nearly as any effort, and it just jumps out of his hand. I feel like he could throw even harder if he tried. We saw him at the Futures game. He looked great. Um, mm-hmm. Lot to like here with Yuri Perez. So for me, he is the the best pitching prospect in minor league baseball. But again, I'm not going to argue with you if you want to pick those other two, Grayson or Andrew. He's clearly the number one in this, the only tier one player. I agree with that, Yuri Perez. I'm just I'm just hoping that we see him relatively sh- soon. I feel like he could be the that Jose Fernandez that the Marlins. Unfortunately, we're mm-hmm. you know, kind of taken away from them. He could be that guy where he's a teenager, he debuts, and he just is so much fun to to own, to watch, to to have in Major League Baseball. So, mm-hmm. um, you said Andrew Painter was your number one. Is Yuri your number two then? Or are you still gonna take Grayson ahead of him? What do
1: you think? No, I'll take I'll take Yuri number two. I, I love Grayson. Don't get me wrong, but Yuri is six eight. You know, uh, he's touching. I mean, he's living. Ninety six, ninety eight. Um, But the best part, I think, for for year is is that lefties are gonna have to watch out for his changeup, which is like a seventy grade changeup. I, I don't think I'm wrong about that.
0: No, and, yeah, that's, that's the that's the draw to him is that it's the not the fastball like when we have Andrew Painter. Although Andrew Painter has a lot going on for it, but is it's that changeup that is so appealing. For
1: oh, such a group I group mean. Out. You're looking at 96 98 painted right i mean he's throwing it wherever he wants and and then you gotta wait <laughs> as a lefty you gotta wait for that 70 grade change up that drops i don't know 30 inches and and uh arm side fades uh 25 inches something like that and then his curveball against righties i mean that's like a 65 grade curveball you know so <laughs> I mean, to only be 19 to to throw. I think he was in Double A all of last year. Is that right?
0: Most all of, of the year. yeah.
1: Most of the year, and uh, and he only had a one one four WHIP. Sometimes ERAs are difficult, especially in the minors, because of the the uh you know the talent surrounding you, yada yada. I would like to see what his uh, expected uh, fifth and actual fifth were last year, but um, I mean. I'm right there with you as far as uh, his his familiarity or uh, how much he reminds me of Jose Fernandez. And I think that's exactly what, what's going to happen. He's going to get called up to Miami. Miami's one of those cities where they can get behind, uh, you know, a Latino kid. And and really, it, it'll just be the talk of the town. And I hope that that happens sooner, far sooner than later, because we do not want to see another six Sanchez, you know, uh, or Khalil Watson, but I think Perez is on a whole other planet, you know, compared to those two. And uh, I, I hope that we see him next year. Really, I don't think we will, but I hope we do.
0: So, Luis Rise, you know, who hit 316 last year for the Twins, got traded mm-hmm. to the Marlins, they were doing some inner squad, had some very nice things to say about Yuri, basically called him Sandy Alcantara's. Kid, in a way, Ooh. like he's the same guy, and he's trying to learn from Sandy and the things that he's doing at the major league level. So you have a wow. great mentor there. Very similar type of pitcher, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, Alcantara mm-hmm. has great stuff. It has the change-up, is the the bread and butter. Like they're similar. Mm-hmm. It's kind of scary to think that they have another Sandy coming up. After
1: yeah. It's tough, it's he's 6'7. He's got he's got the uh the 98 mile an hour two seam that he just shoves down hitters' throats, you know. I mean, yeah, it's great that he's got um that he's got Alcantara there for him too. Yeah.
0: Now, again, a lot of guys here that were exciting a year ago. Max Meyer, who did make his major league debut, unfortunately, he had the big injury. You had Khalil Watson, who was, you know, a top five pick and then all of a sudden had some questionable off the field issues as well as um, on the field issues. But if he could put that behind him, you have to remember 18, 19 year old kids that have been ballers all their life. And there's no excuse for the stuff he did. Don't get me wrong. But that doesn't mean that you can't learn from the things you do that were awful and grow from them mm-hmm. uh, we have to also be aware that that is possible without you know for you know we have to can't forget can forgive all that g- i don't need to lecture people on that but the the point is you can't just write off watson for the rest of his career um as a 19 year old but mm-hmm. uh what do you th- i mean there's what, any, let's go over those three anybody that you want to talk about just as we move on here
1: Yeah, uh, Watson, I'm with you on that. You know, he's only 19. Kids are going to be kids. Just like you said, he's been the absolute, you know, cream of the crop everywhere he's gone thus far in his life, not just in baseball, but everything. I mean, once you get that label that you're going to be a top five pick in any pro sport, forget about it. I mean, I can't really, I'm surprised by how many of these kids take all of this success in stride and make it work for them and then get even better once they get signed. You know, when I was 19, I was a moron, you know, so, and I was a baby, but you learn. That's what happens. You learn when you're 19. And I hope that Watson does exactly the same thing. I mean, is Jeter still there? He is, isn't he? He's the owner, right? Or no, part, no. Or he's right? Oh, he's gone? He's left. Yeah. Okay. Well, that sucks. But um, I, I still think that Watson is talented enough. I mean, it, it, having that natural gift, that God's gift to just come into the box and spray balls all over the place. I mean, he loves it. And you can tell he loves it. Let's just hope that it was a uh, an outlier. You know, I, I I'm of the uh, the philosophy that until he really screws himself, you got to give the kid another chance. He's so young. Yeah,
0: I mean, I don't know. I guess we could go a whole podcast on the idea of what does it mean to have somebody like that, like Mike Clevenger and Trevor Bauer, and they're mm-hmm. on your fantasy team. I mean, what does it say about you? Are you, I mean we had our our highlander draft and like i saw trevor Bauer there all, multiple uh, times but in my mind i like i just i'm i'm not going to i'm not going to draft him <laughs> and for reasons where i was like well i don't i think it's, it might be a waste to pick also like people are going to look at this league and see that i i, I don't want people to think i endorse that how guilty was i mean there's so many things you could talk about this but you know you have to kind of are you, what do you care most about, your dignity or winning a fantasy league? You know? so, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, fantasy football is a lot, has a lot of that, too, because if you were to try to take the moral high ground, you know, you couldn't have Joe Mixon. You couldn't have uh, some of the other – I don't want to – Tariq Hill. Yeah, yeah Tariq Hill is a great one there, too. And like, uh, we're, But we still have those guys on our teams, you know, because mm-hmm. we, we separate it. So it's, it depends what you're willing to do, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned you like Yeti Cappy. I do like him a lot too. I, I just don't know if I'm fully in on like telling everybody to just go out and get this guy because we haven't seen him really put it together like in terms of a full breakout. Certainly, as a 19 year old hitting 290 with nine home runs and uh, 13 RBI, uh, 13 stolen bases is very impressive. And the body type looks great as well, but there is still a lot to prove. He's a guy, though, that if I had a watch list of like five to seven players that Once they got off to a good month or two at the beginning of 2023 that I would go and sell the farm for. He is definitely Mm -hmm. on that list for me Mm -hmm. because I do like what I see so far. I just need to see that little bit more from him. But he did sneak into my top 100. In fact, I'd put him at number two in the system, technically, I guess. Um, What about you? Would you put him up uh, number two or
1: what do you think? Who's you got there? Mayor? Yeah, I put him in at two. Only because Mayer's got those uh, injuries. We haven't really seen him at the same level that he was, say, a couple of years ago. Um, I, I think Mayer will get back eventually also, but he's not getting any younger. I'm not saying he's an old man by any stretch of the imagination, but the more TJ's you have, you know, the further you get from that from that original, you know, uh, scouting Report. Uh but I will I will tell you who I do love a lot and I can back and give my endorsement is dax fulton i watched him um in 2020 as a high schooler before he was drafted um just dominate everybody in the uh, showcase games, you know, the perfect games, all that stuff. He's got everything that you want from your left hand, your left-handed. Uh, I wouldn't say a crafty old lefty because he still hits 95 with his fastball, but his curveball ball is his bread and butter. And that sucker breaks, you know, 60 inches uh, vertically. And I don't know, 15 inches horizontally. It's it's just a blow away pitch. And um, he had, um, Tommy John in his senior year of high school. But the further he gets away from that, the better he's become. Uh, he brought his uh, ERA from, uh, I'm sorry, his, he reduced his uh, walks per nine from uh, 4.37, which is not good, to 3.19, which is far better. That was in 2021 to 2022. Uh, and the further he gets from that injury, the better the better he's become. He's only 21. And uh, I I would absolutely um, put Dax Fulton uh, out there for people to circle or target or trade for uh, all of the above. Yeah.
0: And ahead of him, another lefty, actually, Jake Etter, who had, had Tommy John and missed all of 2022 uh, who, if you recall from a couple of years ago, had a breakout 2021 season where he was mm-hmm. everybody's, uh, you know, fast riser, keep an eye on him as well. I mean, this, that's kind of the theme of this system where these are guys where you might not see them on top 100 lists, but a lot of people are going to graduate. And if they are having strong months in that April, May, June range, you're going to see them really jump up high. Fulton is a great choice. Etter, who Stoffer has a head Cappy, who we mentioned, Khalil Watson's another guy. You have Max Meyer as well. when he comes back. Jacob Berry recently dropped, like all these guys could have enormous jumps and they're worth keeping an eye on. Um, but again, I mean, there's so many guys here after that, even like Xavier Edwards was a top end prospect there in Tampa for a while. Mm-hmm. Jordan Groshans, another guy who's probably, you know, going to, he may earn a starting spot. Peyton Burdick, the mini Mike Trout, if you remember from <laughs> a few years ago. He's still there. Jacob Maya, I know you're familiar with very well. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, he's mm-hmm. there at
0: number 15. Sixto Sanchez, still, you know, if you could turn the injuries off, you have a great arm there. JR the Incarnacion, who made the big leagues, still makes the list. Like, these are all going to be on that 26. 20- six-man roster at some point in the mm-hmm. next year so mm-hmm. um there's a lot of names here and in the, the major league roster certainly there is a lot of openings as well if you take a look at the position players rotation not as much but um interesting team the marlins i you know mm-hmm. got jazz up there you have that rotation with sandy and yuri coming up i don't know well a lot of things have to go right for them still but uh, they could surprise some people in 2023, I think. These mm-hmm. guys aren't bad. Mm-mm. Let's go ahead and move on to our last team, when I uh, the team that I do hope finishes last in 2023, and that is the New York <laughs> Mets. Now, as opposed to the Phillies and the Braves, this minor league system is not bad at all, and it does scare me a little bit if I'm being honest. The Braves and Phillies have a great major league Roster, the Mets have a great major league roster as well, plus loads and loads of money, but they have not sold the farm like those other two teams have, uh, minus maybe the Francisco Lindor deal. That would be kind of the only one where they maybe, I don't know if they redo it per se, but I bet they try to keep some of those guys that they traded out to Cleveland.
1: But Mm -hmm. anyway,
0: let's talk about these guys because you have two tier one prospects here. And again, I, I hate I'm not I'm gonna let you start this because I feel like <laughs> I just get so biased here. But let me see what you think about Beatty and Francisco Alvarez before I speak.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh Francisco Alvarez, I mean let's see here. Going into last year, I'd say he's probably the best uh catching prospect in baseball. Uh I always have thought of him and uh, Gabby Moreno of of uh, Toronto to be in the same sort of uh, ballpark no pun intended however uh Alvarez has plus power and Moreno does not and I don't think that Alvarez's hit tool is as good as Moreno's but because of Alvarez's plus power and he has a very good hit tool not as good as Moreno but Because of that power and hit tool, the combination of such, uh, I think Alvarez is, uh, yeah, he's the best catching prospect in baseball right now, right now of this moment. Brett Beatty, um, I got to say, I wasn't a huge Brett Beatty guy uh, coming into, let's see here, last year. But after seeing what he did uh, in the bigs, um, I got to give it to him. You know, he lost a lot of weight. I remember he was almost on the chubby side about two or three years ago. Um, He can play at third. He can play at first. He can play outfield. I remember uh, when, um, uh, uh, what's his name, Dominic, uh, uh, who is that? uh, Dominic Smith. Yes, thank you. Remember Dominic Smith was at first base and all the Mets fans were screaming for Brett Beatty to come over to first. Um, I was probably in that same boat. Um, he's more athletic than you would think, but God, his hit tool and his raw power are what's going to be his calling card. And I think Beatty has a great chance to be every bit of the Mets future either in the corner or in the outfield, wherever they end up putting him, his his bat's going to play everywhere, period. Um, uh, I like the top two. Um, They're both in the first tier, I believe. Yes, they are both in the first tier. I'd put Alvarez uh, in the top 15 right now, overall prospects, and I'd put Beatty probably in the top 25, at 25.
0: Well, I disagree with how high you have them. I, I I pretty much agreed with what you were saying until you got them that high. I just okay. Let me see how I can explain this. So I saw a bit of Francisco Alvarez last year in the big leagues, and he looked like he was swinging for 500-foot home runs, and he did not look good in his debut. Now, that means nothing. I get that. But what it, I did notice is that the body doesn't look like it's going to stay at catcher for a long time. And yeah, he's, he's well, he's small. And he's and light. He's, he's, well, he's not light. He's quite big, is my point. Uh, he's he's a fatty. <laughs> he, he's, he's. I mean, we saw him at the Futures game. He's yeah. 233 pounds at five foot ten, and he does not True. look athletic at all. True. I just don't think that he is going to be good enough behind the plate to be that stud catcher for you. Like, okay, so Adley Rutschman is so valuable because we know he's staying behind the plate for the next 10 years, mm-hmm. and he's a great hitter. I don't mm-hmm. deny that Francisco Alvarez is a great hitter. He is an elite hitter for a catcher if he stays behind the plate. I just don't think he's staying behind the plate. He's going to be a a DH for me. He's not playing first base with Pete Alonso there. I don't want him in the outfield. I guess they could try to teach him to play third base. That's a if I mean that's just an experiment. So he's going to have to stay behind the plate. He I just don't see him as a catcher in the long term and that I just can't rank him that high because I didn't think the bat was a a sure thing. It's a great thing. If you could tell me he was staying behind the plate for 10 years, I might bump him up. I have him at 50, um, 45. So, I mean, it's borderline tier one for me. I think I'd rather have Edney Rodriguez if I was doing catching prospects of the Pirates. And it would be close to Diego Cartaya as well for your Dodgers. I think I might – prefer him now that I'm kind of I did rank Alvarez ahead of Cartaya but now that I'm talking mm. more I'm convincing myself yeah
1: um, <laughs> I'm putting Cartaya ahead of Alvarez after listening
0: to you yeah and then I like Brett Beatty I had him at 51 I think he's just a borderline as well um, the opening surely is intriguing although you could take that either way right they they were trying to side in Correa to block Beatty. What would have happened in that scenario? Beatty, you know, the, clearly they were not that confident in him to, to not. I mean, I guess he signed Correa. If you can sign Correa, I guess that's probably a weak argument. But I, I do think that his bat is very good. He looks, he, he passed the eye test a lot more than Alvarez did for me when I saw him at the big league level. I just, I, you know, when we were playing the Mets and he came out and he pinch hit a couple times. And I think the, the bases were loaded or there was a, like a, a big run was on base. I don't remember exactly. So I'll have to go back and look at it. But I saw him come up and I had a deep sigh of relief. I said, like, oh, we're out of it. We don't even have to worry. I don't even have to worry about this guy right now. And every time he struck out, like it wasn't even close. They were horrible at bats. He was swinging at everything. Now, again, that's a small sample size. And it does come back to my. Catchers are not something I target in dynasty leagues as well. But yeah, um, I was the lowest on <laughs> Francisco Alvarez. I was not the lowest on Beatty though. So that's good to see. I'm not super biased, but yeah, they're borderline for me. for, for you though, I get it. Like they're, they're, they're tier one. I can understand it. And I'm glad we have somebody that's not a, you know, an L East guy to kind of tell the people probably <laughs> more accurate truth. <laughs> Yeah, um, uh. I do like the guys, though, in tier two. Um, mm-hmm. So if I, if I kind of sound like I don't like Beatty and Alvarez, maybe I can change your mind here because I do like, I mean, I don't know how the, the Mets were able to pull off two of the the best players in the 2022 draft in Jet Williams and Kevin Parada. I think the, those guys are fantastic. I just drafted Jet Williams, in fact, in our beat the staffed prospects 1500 league. I believe in him a lot. Um, Alex Ramirez I've liked for a long time as well. So those three for me are very intriguing guys. Um, Tell me a little bit about what you thought about Parada and jet. Were they at the draft? What did you think about them during your research?
1: Yeah. uh, Parada was at the draft. Um, you know, he we went to Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech has uh, typically been, you know, a catching factory for well hitting, power hitting catchers. Uh, Joey Bart, um, uh, what was the other guy's name I'm trying to think of? I, it's, it's not coming to mind, but. Um, uh, there was, there, no. no, that was
0: Florida.
1: Never uh, mind. Yeah. No, there, there was somebody uh, after. There was someone after Bart. He didn't right. he was he wasn't a complete stud, but uh he and I think he's still in the system somewhere, but he was a really good catcher out of Georgia Tech. But um yeah. anyway.
0: was a Georgia that's who I was thinking of. Wieders. Oh
1: weeders yeah, before yeah, Ram, definitely, definitely. Jason be- definitely before Bart, Weeders was a, a Georgia Tech catcher. Uh I just the the name is just not coming to my mind, but it's okay. Um Parada is, you know, he's got a hit tool and he's got plus power. I wouldn't be surprised to see him hit 25-30 once he gets to the bigs. Uh, He's probably one of the safer bets out of all players in that 2022 draft. I was surprised to see him go all the way down to 11th because I saw a lot of different publications had him all the way up in like the, the top six uh top four i think i saw even in a uh, baseball reference or um one of the older ones uh baseball in america i think but uh he he's gonna be he was an all-american uh with georgia tech after uh bart left and uh i think the mets did an excellent job on drafting him he's a character guy a um a great um uh locker room guy so he's going to be the first one there and the last one to leave uh jet williams actually i hadn't heard a whole lot about uh prior to the draft he wasn't in attendance at least as far as i know but um he's one of those uh smaller type infielders where he only stands at five eight but he does weigh 175 so he's not completely tiny um got that Nick Magical slash Nick Gonzalez type uh, build to him. Uh, Definitely has a hitter's mentality, Uh, doesn't swing and miss really against any pitch. Uh, He could spray it to all areas of the field. And just like most players, uh, when they get to the bigs, he'll probably develop a, a pretty decent amount of power, regardless of his size. I mean, all you have to say from here on out is Jose Altuve, And, you know, it seems to me that it, it, it just is, just as one last little gin or jewel, I'll drop on everybody for dynasty. I always go with hit first guys before power first, only because power almost always develops at the major league level. I mean, even at the professional level, um, you start to see the power numbers go up almost automatically. Whether that has to do with uh, actually, you know, growing into their bodies or being more secure with their swing, you know, yada yada, having better coaches, all of these things play a, a factor. But um, hit-first position players are always my first choice because the power will always come second, always. And uh, I think Williams is is going to surprise some people with his, uh, with his non-existent pop right now, but soon uh, I think he will have some pop.
0: Yeah. I think that's a great point to mention is the power does have a good chance of showing up later down the line, especially these high school guys, you you know, he's still growing and building and getting into a, making this a living instead of, you know, just something that he is you know, does as a high schooler. It's a big difference mm-hmm. when you do it for a living. So, you know, a lot of speed as well. And he's staying at short. I think there's a lot to like with Jet Williams. I think he falls in a lot of drafts. I've had two where he's fallen into the second round at, like, pick number, I don't know, 20, something like that, 21. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great get. So be, because I think a lot of people see a five foot eight guy, that's not going to hit 30 home runs and, you know, he's fast, but he's not the fastest guy. I mean, 20 stolen bases is kind of what I would expect from him at the big level, big league level. Um, but man, pretty good all around player that's going to stay at short. Certainly not anything to to dislike there. So keep an eye on no. him as well. A um, couple other guys I want to mention, I'll let you go ahead and give your, Uh, your talk as well. I mean, we all talked about Brett Beatty and how we love him and how we think he's the third baseman. But to me, Mark Vientos at number nine here on the list is a guy that could perhaps take over if Beatty struggles, if Beatty gets hurt. I mean, he might even win it outright. There's crazier things that have happened. He has a ton of power as well, and he's been slowly progressing through the system. He even made his big league debut, although it didn't go too well for him last year. Uh, He was sneaking up To top 100 lists last year at the beginning of the year after a a very good 2021. And, you know, 2022, he started pretty slowly, but it ended up being pretty damn nice when you take a look at it. 280, 24 home runs in AAA as a 22 year old. um, Did hit a home run in his debut in the big leagues. I think that there's a future for Vientos somewhere, whether it's on the Mets or somewhere else, perhaps a trade piece, but this guy's ready to go now. Like he can start for a lot of teams in the big mm-hmm. leagues, maybe mm-hmm. just not the Mets right now, but somebody that you could get for, uh, for very, very little, if not just pick up in a lot of leagues. And that also goes down to number 11 where Matt Allen, such as he's had so mm. many injuries and, and it's been, he's Andrew painter for me. Like if he could just stay healthy, mm. um, not the size perhaps, but his ascension was where Andrew Painter is right now. Like he was on that path and then just injuries and he got, you know, the Tommy John and now he's had some other injuries as well. Yeah, There's
1: a, there's another one he just had too. I just saw that. Uh, yeah. One that will probably keep him out for the rest of this season as well.
0: Such a, such a shame to, you know, to see it. And if you, if you're in a league where you can just hold on to him for whatever reason, maybe he comes back. He could, kind of be a feel-good story I feel like down the line but man I I really wanted to see Matt Allen do his things Uh, but those are the two that really stand out
1: to me that I wanted to mention
0: anybody else that stands out
1: yeah uh, I would like to speak to Matt Allen also Um, when I saw him pitch in the uh, the instructs uh, after the 2020 uh, you know breakdown so the 2020 season happened and people were being invited to the minor league camp. And then after that, when they had the instructs, I watched Matt Allen's pitching and the leaps and bounds that he made from the last time I saw him pitch to the instructs. Now, granted, they are instructs, but just watching the movement and the velocity on his pitches, his change up was like tumbling out of his hands. It was unhittable. And he had, you know, 96, 97, two seam, 96, 97, four seam, had a wipeout slider, had that big hammer curve. It's so, so depressing that he is one of those players that just seems to not stay healthy. And I'm Exactly. Like one of those owners that you just mentioned, I have him in our league in the Zao and I'm, I'm never going to let the guy go <laughs> period because he's only 21, right? So even though he does have this most recent injury, which will keep him out for the end of 2023, I don't care because by that time he'll be 22, he'll be 22 years old and uh, hopefully um well, here's the hope. And then all that stuff comes back, but he's got the size, et cetera. Uh, I like Mac. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, number 12, Mike, uh, Vassel, the righty for, uh, let's see here. He's 22. He's 6'5". Uh, I picked him up for a song last year off of the wire in our league. Uh, he ended up with a three, five, three ERA, 85 strikeouts through 17 starts, only 71 in the third innings. Um, I think his star is on the rise, Calvin Ziegler. That's another kid that I like a lot with the Mets. Um, The Mets are another system where I usually will trust the uh, pitchers more so than say, uh, I don't know, the Cubs or the, the, what's another one, Um, let's see here. Angels. (laughs) Angels, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, the Cubs or the Angels. That's a pretty good two. And, uh, Dominic Hamill. I like him as well. Uh, elite spin rate on his pitches. Um, he ended up going 119 innings last year and he got 145 strikeouts while holding his opponents to a 196 average. So he only made it through single a last year, uh, advanced and, uh, low. However, um, I love those high spin rate guys. Those guys for me are the future of uh, pitching in major league baseball. And if they could get it right now, uh, then, you know, the sky's the limit. He was also named the Mets organizational pitcher of the year uh, just last year. Dominic Camel.
0: The Mets are good. That's,
1: it could be the deciding
0: factor in a year or two because, this team's pretty solid at the big league level. Pete Alonso, Francisco Landor, Verlander Scherzer. Like, they're, they got a lot of stars. You got the Nemos, the Mark Cannas of the world. They're not going anywhere. And then they have this decent farm system as well, where, you know, Francisco Alvarez comes in and takes over a catcher, and maybe Beatty goes over to third base. And now you can move Escobar all around. So, like, the team's really good. It's sort of. Hard to say as a Braves fan, but, you know, at least we have all our young guys locked up for the long term. So we'll just go with that. Um, overall, we did it. I think there we go. The NL East, a lot of guys to talk about. Um, thank you, Nate, for for joining me here and talking about a lot of different guys. I'm interested to see your top 100 list. I know you got to finish that up. Um, yep. We'll probably have an episode here. In the future where we talk about that, that should be coming out very shortly on the site where we take, I think we got around 15 to 20 of the writers that ranked all of their top 100 guys. I would, I would love to go over that list as well. We had, Absolutely. Uh, we have our first year player draft in the your Dynasty League, Zhao Dynasty, as well as the Beat the Staff Prospects 1500 mm-hmm. League as mm-hmm. well. We got to go over those results. And then, of course, all the spring training news. We'll have to make some predictions going forward. So a lot of good stuff coming out. We've kind of fallen in this routine of a Friday night recording and then releasing on a Saturday or a Sunday, getting it out for everybody's commute throughout the week. So hopefully we can continue that so that you can enjoy the content as it comes out. Thank you for listening. These episodes, again, have been quite long. Hopefully – if you uh, you don't mind that, I, I I we don't get a lot of complaints. Oh yeah, that episode was too long. We hate you guys. <laughs> That's not too bad, but I do know that you know they do uh, they do run long. So if you made it this far and listened to it again, we appreciate that. Thank you, Nate Eckert, joining me. My name Alex Sanchez. This is Futures Focus Dynasty Prospect Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you next time.